Yes. yes. So, so excited. Buddy! Yes! What? If you're like me, then you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast, the Pope on Film. I mean, who isn't? The, this day and age. But only real fans, true hardcore fans, would know two very important things about us. Two absolutely real and in no way made up on the spot facts about the both of us. Uh, America's hottest podcasting couple, Bunny and Steve. First and foremost is the fact that when you're not podcasting, Bunny, you are making international news as the world's first licensed animal massager. So tell us, Bunny, a little bit about your life as a professional licensed animal massager. Um... The the training was very difficult, and the amount of schooling uh, yeah. was very important. So I am trained in, in various techniques of massage. Um, and because of that training, and because I'm, I'm, I'm a professional, I, I, I stick to exotic animals. You know? Nice. I mean, I know how to rub a cat. You know, but there's there's more money in llamas and alpacas true, and, true. and the occasional python. Yeah. You know, uh, things like that. Um, of course, it's additional for a happy ending. You know, but yeah, you know, I. You get what you pay for. I mean, this is quality and this is training. Yeah. You know, so if if you have a tense wildebeest, give me a call. What's your company called again? I forgot. Um, it's it's called Mutual of Omaha's Whack in the Wild. Nice. nice. I, like I like that. I like yes. that. It's a yes. The new, new turn, turn on an old phrase. phrase. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I support, support that. that. So fifty fifty percent off if you donate your animal semen for the space arc. Yeah, yeah it's for a good cause. Yes. It's important to mention that it's not just going. Going, going for, for, for some, some horrible cause, it's for a good thing. Yes, yes it is. Well, maybe, you know, not, not be weird about it. <laughs> the second thing that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do is I like to go through the history books and try and find a story, maybe one that people don't know too well, and reword it via my own unique storytelling style. So that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximations! Or shack, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name Shap. It's short, but powerful. It's the Adam Ant of podcast segments. <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, 
I am referring to the 1965 Hanna-Barbera character, Atom Ant. Yes. And not uh, 80s singer Adam Ant. Yes. In the feathery hair and the face paint. Although I will say this, his song Goody Two Shoes is a banger. <laughs> That still slaps hard. That song came out 38 years ago, and it's still a damn good song. It's a damn good song. It's just good. I I kind of liked their very first album when they came out as more of a hardcore punk band. Yeah. You know, but I had seen a documentary one night, one very late night where I had come home from the clubs drunk. And okay. it stuck with me for some reason. But it was a documentary about this British music producer. I forget oh. what his name was, but kind of like a Phil Spector type. Yeah. And the and one and he had a string of people that he promoted, but in particular this focused on how he managed and promoted Billy Idol. Okay. <laughs> But that relationship turned out not really quite working out so well because Billy Idol was actually a bit more of a rebel than that and did not want to be packaged. Yeah, contained. So they kind of parted ways and he found Adam Ant. And if you look at, like, if you look at the time period where they're closest yeah. you could see the look he was going for and you could see that Adam Ant really kind of has that same look that Billy Idol had yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I can kind of see that yeah but Goody Two Shoes that's a good song <laughs> but this Shabbity Shap Shap is not about Atom Ant or Adam this shab is about what I fully believe to be one of, if not the, single greatest movie never made. And no, I'm not talking about Joe Dorowski's Dune. Yeah. On the list of everyone's top movie never made, I'm not talking about Joe Dorowski's Dune. So just drop it. I love I love how you said it the first time. I liked it better how you said it the first time because Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky, I Jodorowsky, you know Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky's from up the block. You know? he's, he lives he lives in Bed Stuy. Yeah. Yeah, you know Joe Jodorowsky. He's got a he's got a wife and two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Hey! Hey! What you doing? We gotta make the spice flow. Come on! He he used to he used to be the garbage man before doing Holy Mountain. Yeah. Everybody knows that. That's yeah. the fact. Fact. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm talking about a film that would have, beyond a shadow of a doubt, been the greatest slasher movie of all time. Okay. But before we discuss this amazing unmade film, we've got to go back, way back. How far back? The 1930s! Okay! Because 
Because in the 1920s, Universal had some success in the realm of horror with 1923's Hunchback of Notre Dame and 1925's Phantom of the Opera. But in 1931, in the same year, they dropped Lugosi's Dracula and Karloff's Frankenstein in the same year! Yes. Two of the biggest horror films of all time, and just like that, Universal went to the races with their stable of horror films, especially monsters. The Mummy, The Wolfman, The Deanna Durbin. Yeah. And both one of the first talkies, which you can really tell when you watch them, because they don't talk much. Yeah, 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 yeah. But by the 1940s, what originally started as big-budget horror epics slowly became inferior B-movie sequels, The Ghost of Frankenstein, The Son of Dracula. Yes. The the second nephew once removed of The Invisible Man. (laughs) Yes. I hated The Invisible Uh, Man, and I was not a big mummy fan, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't a big Mummy fan. I liked the first Invisible Man, but they made a bunch of other ones, and they're all garbage. They're all just, they're all just like the worst. And then there were those mashup movies, like The House of Frankenstein, where all the monsters would be in them. Oh, I love those. I they're horrible yeah. movies, but I love them. And oddly, my favorite is House of Dracula. House of Dracula, yeah. So Universal saw the writing on the wall, and it was the end of their golden age of monsters. Although the 50s would take us to a really sweet Black Lagoon. Uh, So Universal said, hey, let's end our classic monsters with a bang. Let's think differently. How can we really end our Universal Monsters with a bang? And someone had a crazy idea. I mean, this is weird. What about a comedy? And that's how we got 1948's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. My opinion, a freaking comedy masterpiece and a really great send-off for the old-school Universal Monsters. Yes. Now, put a, put a pin on that, okay? Okay. Pin on that. So we're going to jump to the 80s. Halloween came out, the movie Halloween came out in 1978, and it single-handedly invented the slasher genre. Hold on, Bunny, I have something in my throat. Cough, cough, Halloween's a wet rip-off of the film Black Christmas, cough! Oh, God, yeah. It was, well, it was originally meant to be a sequel. Yeah. I had something stuck in my throat, Bunny, so I just had to cough it out. And so, in the year 1980, to capitalize on the totally original Halloween movie... Hold on, I have something in my throat again. Cough, cough! Canadian horror movie! Cough, uh, Gabriel Martin! Yes! <laughs> Margot Kidder. 1974. Okay, so... I'm listening, but I gotta step away. Okay. So to capitalize on the totally original movie, Halloween, Paramount decided to release their own slasher-type movie, and they released Friday the 13th, and it was a huge hit. It cost only 
thousand dollars to make. An astoundingly small amount of money. But but it only cost five hundred and fifty thousand dollars to make, and it made roughly sixty million dollars at the box office. That is such a huge return on an investment. Yeah, and that's what movies are all about—making money for stockholders. So, um, the first Friday the Thirteenth movie made so much money that, of course, Paramount said. Okay, we're in the Friday the 13th business now, and they started cranking out a bunch of them. Originally, their original plan for Friday the 13th was to turn it into an anthology series. Why do all of these horror directors want to turn their movies into an anthology series? I have a love-hate relationship with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, but I'm not going to get into it, because I'll just be talking non-stop about Silver Shamrock. I'm not doing that. Happy, happy Halloween. Not getting into it. Not getting into it. So their idea was, was that the Friday the 13th franchise was going to be an anthology series based on bad things that happened on Friday the 13th and bad luck superstitions that happened in Friday the 13th which eventually became the basis of the TV show Friday the 13th yes. the series which ran from 1987 to 1990 and fucking sucked. But anyway. Fucking sucked. I love that show. I hated that show. I hated that show, but I was really young when that came out. I was like 10. But I, 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 I didn't see Jason, and I got pissed, and I didn't watch it. At least, uh, at least uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, had Freddy Krueger doing uh, intro and outro bumps, you know? Yeah, see now, see now, that scared the shit out of me. Okay, yeah. because it was shot so fucking cheap. It was just Robert Ungern so standing up. Yeah, so standing up against the brick wall, being Freddy Krueger, and my first my first thought was fucking Robert Ungern snapped. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, he Freddy thinks he's fucking Freddy Krueger now, and he's doing this shit in his basement. Yeah, basically, Robert England till the day he dies. Like he will. Like it's it's 2026. Robert England was accidentally in a, a gunfight. He was shot 14 times, and as he's bleeding on the street. The EMTs go to him and say, are you okay, sir? And he said, I can still do another nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Call me already. I can do it. Yeah. All this blood oozing, it's fine. I can do another one. Yeah. To the day he dies, he would be saying that. So, Friday the 13th. The first one came out in 1980, made a bunch of money, so they started cranking them out. The second one came out a year later with a bigger budget, 1.25 million, and that made 22 million, which is more than half of what the first one made. But still, you make a movie for 1.25 million, it makes 22 million. That's still a pretty impressive return on an investment. So they started making more. The third one came out the next year in 1982. It was in 3D. Featured so many things flying directly at the screen and surprising. They didn't just have a guy in a top hat hitting a paddle ball in 
into the camera. Yeah. Which, which, which is they always, did. <laughs> yeah. So, in, uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 costs $2.2 million to make a lot more than the last one, but the box office was a lot higher. It made about $37 million, which was a lot more than the second one, bigger than the third one. The third one was supposed to end the franchise, but then the movie came out and they said, oh shit, we were so focused on promoting that the movie was in 3D that we never promoted that it was going to be the last one. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be Friday the 13th, the final chapter in 3D, but instead they went with Friday the 13th in 3D. And now people want another Friday the 13th, and this was supposed to be the last one. Damn it. Okay, so the next one could be the last one. So, so they decided to end it with the fourth film, Friday the 13th, the final chapter in 1984. This one made less at the box office than the 3D one. But it still made a decent amount of money, and they still kept cranking out Friday the 13th movies. The thing was was that Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, started a trend of box offices falling and falling and falling. Yes. Basically, after after Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, uh, audiences were very much done. Uh, they just didn't really want any more of uh, Jason Voorhees and his mommy issues. Also, in 1984, Jason Voorhees got himself some serious competition down on Elm Street with the introduction of Freddy Krueger. Yes. And, uh, and uh, the scariest monster of all time, Johnny Depp. Ah! Women were super scared of Johnny Depp in in uh, Nightmare on the Street. Not because he was scary, but because of his history of domestic abuse. At least Johnny... Jokes now! Hooray! At least Johnny Depp will freely talk about his role on Nightmare on Elm Street, even still, if anybody asks him. It's something he did, just like anything else, and he kind of enjoyed it. As opposed to Friday the 13th star, Kevin Bacon, who's a little bitch about it. Yeah. And and you're not allowed to ask Kevin Bacon about Friday the 13th. You're not allowed to ask him about that. It's like Rocky from Rocky Horror. He he won't talk yeah. to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. A, a large bitch. portion of a, a large percentage of the reason why I'm doing this chat is be, because uh, the day before Halloween I saw a Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth at the drive-in, and my wife and I had such a fun time, and we're making yeah. all these. And, and, and like Kevin Bacon, we imagine that Kevin Bacon shows up to the set of Friday the 13th and he's like, hey, it's me, Kevin, I'm the star of the film. Hey, you're all six degrees from me. And everyone's like, it's 1980, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, oh, you'll see. Yeah. You'll just wait. You're all six degrees from me. So, so I, I, while we're on the subject of A Nightmare on Elm Street, as a young child, when these movies came out, I had such a fucking crush on Heather Langenkamp. Yeah? Oh, I loved her. 
so much. Yeah, my, my tastes ran more to the girl from Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah no, no, understandable. But I was more, I was so young at the time, you know, going to the mall and yeah. girl out on a date to the state fair. So, so, oh yeah, Heather, I freaking loved her growing up. So, um... Okay, but the, the implications that the murder mommy had to stay under the bed the entire time that they were fucking... You cannot think about the logistics of the first Friday the 13th movie. How did yes. the mom throw a dead body through the window? It makes no sense when you try and break it down. It can be explained away as, uh, what is it, adrenaline? Yeah, I don't. She's revenging, uh, trying to avenge her childhood beliefs. She's trying to avenge her child. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like those stories you hear about moms leaving cards that are totally untrue. But, like, still. The thing is, though, she had to stay. Why didn't she just kill them both right then? She had to make a game out of it or something? Yeah, she had to make a game out of it. Yeah, and also, I really still believe that he brought the gas in there because they went to the generator and then they went into that room. Yeah. So, I think that was a gas can. And that's why dude couldn't get it done. Maybe. Somebody need to know. Somebody do the deed, the, the, the research. That was only made for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <sighs> yeah, sure. That's impressive. That that still sounds like a lot for me. Because I I've literally priced this out. I mean, like we could get a cabin for the weekend for about two hundred and fifty bucks here. And therefore, I wrote a script based around a fucking cabin. I probably could have done the whole thing for about a thousand bucks, but I wasn't really happy with how the screenplay came out. Hmm. But, like, uh, Steve and I already have teenagers that we can provide to these boys. Good point. Yeah. I'm literally going to school to be in film. Not in it, but behind the cameras. You know? Yeah. So, like, they'd be down. Good point. You've got a crew, I think, as well. <laughs> so, so Freddy Krueger shows up in 1984, and he poses a real threat to the success of the Friday the 13th franchise. In 1984, Freddy Krueger is introduced, and then the following year, he has a surprisingly gay-friendly sequel. Yes. So new guy Freddy comes along and rocks the box office while Friday the 13th keeps making less and less money. So after the 1986 film Friday the 13th Part 6 Jason Lives, which only made $19 million at the box office, that's pretty sad. The producers said, okay... Um, whatever our next, our movies are doing horrible, our movies are bombing, whatever our next film is, it needs to be different. We need different ideas, outside of the box, something weird, something crazy, we need something different, alright? Because it, 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 if the box office keeps going so bad, we're going to have to kill them off, okay? Start thinking about how we're going to kill off Jason, how are we going to end this, how are we going to stop it? We need something different, I need some, some, some different outside-of-the-box crazy ideas, go! And uh, originally they said, okay, well, then how about this? I, I mean, America is enamored with these two slashers. How about we do it? Freddy vs. Jason in 1987. Yes. But Jason was owned by Paramount, and Freddy was owned by New Line, and they tried in 1987 to actually get the movie done, but they couldn't come to terms. 
Freddy and Jason wouldn't happen until 2013 when New Line Pictures bought the rights to the Friday the 13th franchise. But it's not 2003, it's 1987. So they kept spitballing. And they're like, come on, there's got to be something we can do. There's got to be something we can do. What if we do a Jaws? And the executive producer is like, you mean, you mean to tell me Jason versus Jaws? And they're like, no, what if we pull a Jaws? You know, the mayor uh, lies about the deaths, covers up the deaths so he can sell the camp. Someone buys the camp. They want to turn it into condominiums, apartments, high class, retail, something. Jason finds out, starts killing people. The mayor's covering it up, saying that it's not happening. We can do a Jaws. What about that? And the producer said, no, 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 we need something different. We really need something different. And then it happened, Bunny. Yeah. Tom McLaughlin, the director of the last film, Part 6, Jason Lives, had a wild idea. Harkening back to the 1940s and Universal Studios, McLaughlin said... Well, when the Universal Monsters weren't doing good in the 40s, when they weren't doing good at the box office, Universal went a comedy route. What if we made the next Jason movie a comedy? Yeah. And the executive producer at the time, Frank Mancuso, said, Well, uh, what would that even be? And... Uh, Tom McLaughlin said, well, let's think about this. Okay, uh, Jason is owned by Paramount. Let's go through Paramount stuff. What does Paramount own? There's got to be some sort of a property out there in 1987 that uh, Paramount owns that we can. And then he got the idea. Okay. Cheech and Chong versus Jason. The possibilities of this movie, like you can see it. Yeah. You can see huge portions of this 1987 film, Cheech and Chong versus Jason. And Chong's getting all high, and Chong is the, the you know, like a, the Costello. He's the, like, dude, man. I swear, it was going to sound weird. I saw someone in the lake, and she's just all, shit, what are you talking about? Stop it, there's nobody in the lake. You're just too high, man. Come on, we got to go make s'mores. You know, like, like, like I, I can see huge portions of that movie, and I would have loved it at the time, and I would have seen it a billion times. Yes. They they would have done an Abbott and Costello with Cheech and Chong and Jason, and that would have been a hit, and maybe they could have done uh, uh, Cheech and Chong meet uh, Freddy Krueger, and then they could do it. Like, that could have been the Freddy versus Jason. Yes. Chong bring Freddy and Jason together. It could have been a whole series just like Abbott Costello made Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein and a bunch of other shitty monster movies. <laughs> you know, but but the first one would have been Abbott and Costello meet Jason, and God damn it, I want to see that movie so bad. I, I I yeah I I it's the movie I never thought I needed to see until I heard of it. Yeah. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. <laughs> 
and, and like Jason's Jason trying to kill him, mean, and, and they're running away. Meanwhile, Chong just keeps smoking weed. Yeah. And so Jason's chasing him, but then Jason keeps getting slower and slower chasing. Oh wait, him. yeah. Okay, wait, wait. Okay, because okay, so Cheech and Chong, they're still kind of going to be pacifists. Yeah. But, but figure, you know, if we just get this dude high, he'll chill the fuck out. Yeah. yeah. The so keep coming up with elaborate ways to trap Jason in a way that they can get him high. Oh, and say and say there's there's like a talent show and she just like in drag and then afterwards he goes off to have a smoke in the woods and Jason thinks it's a girl. Yeah. And starts hunting him and killing him, and Cheech in drag does the being chased by Jason, like run, 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 stumble, trip. Yeah. And he's like, oh man, these high heel shoes. You know, and he's running. And, and, and Jason's chasing Cheech and Chong, and Chong is just, just smoking so much weed. It's like, Chong, what are you doing, man? Stop smoking. He's like, I'm sorry, man. When I get nervous, I, I, I get high, and it makes me feel better. And he's smoking so much weed that the smoke is going into Jason's face. And so he's chasing Cheech and Chong, but he keeps getting slower. And then eventually, Cheech and Chong turn around, and they're like, where did he go? And they walk towards Jason, and he's just like, He's just, just like, like leaning on a tree, eating some yeah. chips. Yeah. And then Sean's like, oh, oh man, dude, there's the guy trying to kill us. Oh man, you got chips. And Sean sits there with Jason, and they're both eating chips, and they're passing the joint around. Like, oh, I can see this entire film, and I'm so yes. sad that they did this. You know? It's not too I'm late, sure. man. They're not dead. Man, I want to see this movie so badly. I can just, I can picture it. I can picture it in my head. So much of this film. What's, and then, what's and Chief then, been doing? He's got to have a series somewhere. And then the other teenage camp counselors keep getting killed by Jason. And, uh... Cheech is just pissed off that he has to do more work. And <laughs> to like find out why they're missing just Oh man, those teens are just so so lazy. Now I gotta do the dishes, man. This is this is lame. And then I gotta go help with macrame. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I, I can see the entire film. Eventually, when it came to uh, Friday the 13th Part 7, they're like, no, we, like uh, the executive producer, Frank Mancuso, passed on Cheech and Chong versus Jason and said, no, but, but I like the way you're thinking. Think of something like that. And eventually the, eventually, the director came up with, okay, well, how about this? What if we do a carry? Because Jason is always this super strong, unstoppable killer. What if we pull somebody up, a carry type team with like mind powers, and then suddenly the Jason versus carry type of thing, where finally here's someone with powers that can actually maybe fight and maybe even defeat Jason. And that was kind of fun. Yeah, and that's what they went with Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. 
that featured a girl with powers, and that was their attempt at doing a Jason versus Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Natasha was vaguely aware of the Friday the 13th franchise, and I was talking to her about it, you know, in between movies, and I'm like, I, I, I feel that the Nightmare on the movies are better movies, but I like the Friday the 13th movies because those are campier. I mean, he did go to space, and Natasha was like, wait, there was a Jason in space? And I'm like, oh yeah, that was one of the yeah. best slash ones. Yeah. And in the horror genre, that has become equivalent to meaning jump the shark. Yeah. Yeah. Your character in space. Yeah, Leprechaun in space. Uh Uh-huh. Hellraiser in Uh, space. Machete 3 is supposed to be Machete in space. But that's, like, intentional, and I so much appreciate it. I want him to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I, I think, think that... Because I see what you're doing, Robert Rodriguez. I see it. I see it. I'd like to think... Finish that it up. I'd like to think that what happens in Machete in Space is... Machete is in space, and then he gets hit in the head by a space golf ball. And then he knocks out and wakes up in bed next to Suzanne Plachette. Yes! That's what I think happens yeah. in that movie. But anyway, that's it for Steve's historical approximations this week. Uh, what are your thoughts about Cheech and Chong versus Jason? I think it's a film with endless possibilities. The I'm still down. I, I think they should still do it. They can still do it if yeah. they want to. Yeah. That movie writes itself. Uh-huh. You know? Anyway, be sure to join us next week for more educationally uneducational fun with Steve's Historic Approximations! And cut on that. Buddy! Yes. Are you... Okay. We still have a movie to talk about. We need to talk about Nick Adams. We need to talk about uh, Ichiro and Godzilla's Revenge. We need to talk about Airplane 2. Yes. That's that's my dryer. But before we get to any of that, maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break. All right. We will be right back with more of the Pokemon film after this. Do 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 do